Welcome to the Bible for My Ordinary Life podcast. My name is Alicia Parker, and I'll be your host. Now, I live a pretty ordinary life, but I really enjoy studying and teaching the Bible. If you're interested in what the Bible really means and how it can be applied to your everyday, perhaps ordinary life, then this podcast is for you. You see, I believe the Bible is more than just a collection of interesting stories. It's God's communication to humankind. It's a revelation about who he is and how we fit into the story he is telling. Even if we feel like our personal story is a little bit ordinary. The Bible includes 66 individual books, but with a unifying theme, God desires a relationship with us. So let's open the pages of God's word together and discover what extraordinary truths he has for our lives. Hi everyone. I'm so glad you're here today, and I hope so far you are having a great day. But no matter what might be going on in your life, I think it's always a great day to be opening up the Bible to see what it has to say. So I just want to say thanks. Thanks for joining me. We've just started season two of this podcast, and in our first episode of the book of Ephesians, we only covered verse one. I hope you were able to tune in and give that lesson a listen, because although we didn't get too far into this letter we did talk about some important background information that shapes the rest of the study. If you did listen, remember how I mentioned that Ephesians is broken into two halves? The first three chapters are more doctrine and theological teaching, and the second three chapters are more application and practical instructions for life. So today, I hope you're ready for a fantastic discussion on some doctrine. Now, don't hit that stop button on your podcast player. I don't want the word doctrine to scare you off. We are going to dip our toes into some intellectually challenging things today, but I promise I won't let you drown in any deep waters. Our study of Ephesians will tackle a few important theological ideas, but there is also so much practical application to these words that I don't want you to feel scared off by the deep thinking stuff and therefore unable to get to the what does this mean for my life stuff. You see, my greatest hope for my listeners is that whatever we talk about here together, whether it's doctrine that challenges you intellectually or practical applications that challenge you spiritually, that all of it inspires you to grow closer to God. So I hope you're excited to take this next step and wade a bit with me into the next few verses of Ephesians. Let's start off slowly with just verse 2, but I promise we'll get farther than just one verse today. Ephesians 1 verse 2, as written in the New American Standard Version, says the following, Grace to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This verse is really kind of part of verse 1. It's Paul's opening greeting to the churches he's writing to. And you'll see this type of greeting in other letters written by Paul as well. He's extending grace to the church, grace to you. And from that comes peace, grace to you and peace. You see, grace is when we're given something we do not deserve. Salvation is by grace. We don't deserve it, but we've been given it. And so with that grace from God comes peace. It's a beautiful dichotomy, grace and peace. And Paul opens this letter with a reminder that from God, his listeners have both grace and peace. 
Okay, so in real time, I'm recording this in January of 2021 from America. At this time in our country's history, we are experiencing neither grace nor peace within our borders. We're in a tumultuous time of political unrest, and with the news cycle and social media feeds, I can often feel ungracious toward others, and I'm certainly seeing a real lack of grace among people out there online. It's also really hard to have a sense of peace while all of this is going on. But when I open God's word, I am reminded of his grace in my life. And the more I think about that grace, about the blessings he's allowed me to have in my earthly life, and the promise of my future in heaven, the more my heart is filled with peace. So, dear listener, Whatever year it is, whatever's going on around you in your country or in your town or in your home or in your heart, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's turn our attention to the next several verses. I've said this before and I'll reiterate it for you again. I am not a Greek scholar. I like to look at the Greek and to study it, to read commentators who know the Greek, but I myself am not trained in reading Greek. But everything I read about this section of scripture points out something interesting about the next few verses. From verse 3 all the way to verse 14 is one long sentence in Greek. Now, let's remember that originally this was a letter, not a book in a Bible. There weren't originally chapters or verse numbers. Paul sat down one day and wrote these words on a papyrus scroll, probably, as a letter to some churches far away. Someone had to carry these words to them to be read. And now, 2,000 years later, those words that he wrote are printed in a Bible in our language. And over time, we've added verses and chapters and titles and little commentary at the end of your Bible pages and cross-reference numbers and all kinds of things to help us understand the original words. And in an English translation, it's impossible to translate word for word what the original Greek was. So adjustments are made to get the point across. And sometimes punctuation is added to help make the text more readable in our current language. So in verses 3 through 14, we will see several individual sentences in our Bibles, but they weren't originally there. It's a giant run-on sentence that, honestly, my high school English teacher would have returned to me for editing. But it seems like the Holy Spirit wasn't too concerned about long sentences and punctuation as to require Paul to edit it. So we have what we have. Now, because it's such a long thought, I'm going to break this section into a few chunks for us. Let's start with verses 3 through 6. Again, I'm reading today from the New American Standard Version, so here we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to the kind of intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Okay, let's start with a couple good strategies when reading the Bible. I use a set of strategies I call composition clues to help me look for patterns in biblical writing. 
And the letter we're studying is a composition, right? It's something Paul composed. And in that composition are going to be some clues to important ideas that he wanted to communicate. So as we go through Ephesians, I'm going to point out various composition clues for you and encourage you to use them in your own study time. So the first composition clue that we encounter is the use of repeated words. When an author repeats a word, we should pay attention to that and try to figure out why. Verse 3, use the word blessed or blessing three different times. Here it is again. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. So this opening sentence here in English with the repetition of this word is like a theme statement. Paul is going to be talking about the blessings of God. Now, do you know what the Greek word for blessing is? And of course, do you know that I'm going to tell you because that's what I do. I, I kind of nerd out on Greek words. Okay, so yes, I'm going to tell you what the Greek word for blessing is, whether you know it or not. The Greek word for blessing is eulogotos. Sound familiar? We get our English word eulogy from that. A eulogy is a speech given of high praise. Now, it's often given in funerals where the life of the deceased is honored with praise. High praise. And that's what this is about. High praise to God who gives us eulogetos, who has given us blessings. Okay, so the repeated word blessings clues us in that it's an important concept for what's to come in this writing. Paul is going to be writing about the blessings of God. And there are some more repetitious words in this section of scripture, and we will get to those shortly. But before we do, let's take a look at verse 4. In verse 4, Paul says God chose us before the foundation of the world. Now, I could blow right past this and move on to the next verses, which talk about how he did this and how great it is that he did this. But the concept of being chosen is an important one. So we're going to spend a few minutes here because this is where we need to wade into some doctrine. The idea presented here that we are chosen is often referred to as the doctrine of election or predestination. And Paul will use the word predestination shortly, but he primes the pump with the word chose here in this verse. And in other places in scripture, he uses the term elect or election. It's all the same idea as the term chose. So chose, predestined, and elect are all relatively synonymous concepts in Paul's writings about this topic. So consider the idea that God chose us. And let's pose some important questions. First, if God chose or elected or predestined some to become believers, does that mean he chose some to not become believers? Hmm. And second, if God chose or elected or predestined us, does that mean salvation was never really our decision? It was our fate all along? Now, these two questions are difficult to answer, and many people who love the Lord, study the Bible, and profess Jesus as their Savior have different conclusions on the answers to these. So let's just challenge ourselves to think deeply for a few minutes, and I promise just a few minutes, and walk through this doctrine together. I'm going to go over three different ways the doctrine of election can be interpreted. 
This is where I might stretch your thinking a bit, but hang with me. For me, the rewards of thinking deeply about the Lord is that I feel a much greater love and deeper appreciation for him. And I hope that those are some of the same outcomes for you. Okay, so the first explanation for how Paul can say God chose us before the foundation of the world is that God is outside of time. So before creation, God could look through all of eternity to come and see who would believe. So he foresaw or foreknew who would accept the gift of salvation and therefore he elected or chose them. He saw it and knew it would happen before it happened. And as we enter life and time, we then are considered chosen or elected by him. Okay. So another explanation is that election and predestination, those terms don't refer to us as individuals, but it's a term that applies to the global church. God chose the church. So when individuals are saved, they become part of God's church and are therefore part of what's been chosen. Now, don't misunderstand what I mean here by church. I'm not talking about belonging to a group of people who meet in a building near your home. I'm talking about the global church. The church is all true believers since the time of Jesus. So the choosing in this school of thought is a choosing of all believers as a group as the church, not as individual believers. Now, here's a third way to interpret this. It could also mean that God chose some to be saved according to his will. He determined who would be saved. It's totally unconditional. Nothing we could do, change it or influence it. And it's pre-temporal, which is what Ephesians is say. It means before the foundations of the earth, before the earth was even here. Now, I think this last explanation is the hardest to deal with emotionally. Our sense of justice wants to say, how could God choose some and not choose others? But I want to challenge us a little bit deeper on this. Can't he do what he wants? Who are we to say what is just and right for God to do? I mean, wouldn't absolute and total justice be to choose no one? We are all sinners. Total justice for all would be eternal separation from God. It is his grace that salvation is even available to any of us. So who are we to say that he has to give that grace in a way that satisfies our definition of what is fair? Now, if you've ever read the book of Job, chapters 39 and 40 are pretty humbling. If you don't know about Job, he lost everything. He was very, very wealthy, tons of kids, wife, land, cattle. He loses it all, even his health. He's sick. He's covered in boils. and He's miserable. His friends and his wife have told him to curse God, but Job won't. He is, however, frustrated and rightly so miserable with all that he has to endure. And finally, after many chapters of listening to the bad advice of his friends, God steps in and responds to Job, and boy, does he respond. Let me just read three verses from chapter 40, but really, if you have some time this week, read both chapter 39 and 40. It's it's pretty amazing. This is what the Lord says in chapter 40. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Would you really challenge my justice? 
Would you declare me guilty to justify yourself? Oh, wow. God says, who are you to question me to justify what you think is right? Who am I to question if election of some and not others seems fair, right? I don't know if God chooses some to be saved and therefore chooses others not to be saved. It doesn't feel fair to my puny little human brain, but I have no business questioning God's judgment. None. None at all. So what's the answer here? Did God look through the halls of time and foresee who would choose him and therefore he chose those people before creation? Does the choosing only mean the general church is chosen and not individuals? Or does God specifically choose some to be saved and choose others not to be? Tough questions. I don't know the answer. I'm not God. Here's what I do know. I know he can be trusted. I know his ways are higher than mine. I know he is loving and kind and patient and holy and righteous and just. I know he never acts outside of his character. He never violates who he is. So in his perfection, in his holiness, and in his grace and his love and his justice, he has chosen us before the foundation of the world. That's all I know. I doubt the doctrine of election will ever be fully agreed upon by humans until the time the Lord returns and enlightens us. We just don't always understand everything there is to know about how and why God does what he does. So there it is. The doctrine of election explained very briefly. We made it. <laughs> that wasn't so bad, was it? Now this doctrine will continue to surface in the next few verses. But at least you have a basic understanding of what it is and what the various viewpoints are. But before we leave this entirely... I know I probably didn't satisfy your need for a concrete answer. I posed some pretty tough questions, and I didn't exactly answer them in a way that makes you feel like, oh, she really knows what she's talking about. Or maybe you're well-versed enough in doctrine to already know where you stand on the issue of what election and predestination means. Let me just challenge you with this. Do you have to know exactly how to explain the doctrine? Or can you just be satisfied with the amazing knowledge that God chose you. God chose you. God chose me. I don't know exactly how, and I certainly don't know why. But if you are a believer, you've been chosen. Let that fact be a source of joy and be a reason that you love God deeper and with more affection than you did before. This is what I meant earlier when I said the rewards of thinking deeply about the Lord is a greater love for him and a deeper affection. Okay, so we have just read verses 3 through 6 before we took that little detour to explain the doctrine of election. Let's step back and review what those said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. 
in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now, earlier we talked about the composition clue of repeated words, and we noticed the word blessing was repeated. Now, I want to give you another composition clue to use when looking at God's word. Let's pick out the action verbs that are used in this section. Oh, I know, I know. Verbs probably remind you of some English class trauma you had involving diagramming sentences and things like that. But I'm not going to get too deep into grammar today. What I want you to see are the actions God takes in these verses. Now, what's an action verb? Anytime you see an action happening, it's represented with a word that's called a verb. Words like run, talk, carry, sing, these are verbs, they're actions. So let's look at the actions in these verses and think about the meaning behind them. We already saw in verse 3 the verb blessed. God has blessed us. In verse 4, we see the verb chose. God has chosen us. In verse 5, we see the verb predestined. God has predestined us. In verse 6, my version says bestowed, but it might also say lavished, or again, it could say blessed in your English translation. God has bestowed on us. And all of these verbs fit with our initial theme of being blessed by God, don't they? God has done and is doing a lot of things for us. Now, let's try to do some personalization of these verses. I'm going to reread them, but I'm going to insert my name into these verses. And I want you to do the same, but with your name. And let's see how this sounds. You ready? Blessed be the God of and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed me, Alicia, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose me, Alicia, in him before the foundation of the world, that I, Alicia, would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined me, Alicia, to adoption as sons or daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind of intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on me, Alicia, in the beloved. Wow, that's pretty incredible to read those words as if they're written to me. And guess what? They are. The words Paul was writing to these believers in this church apply to me and to you. These particular words are not specific to a time or to a culture or to behaviors in a church. This is truth for all believers. God chose us. God has adopted us in accordance to his will. We are to be holy and blameless. His grace is freely bestowed on us. This week, I want to challenge you to read these verses with your name in them. And think about God's blessings. Think about the incredible gift of salvation. And praise God that you are one of the chosen. Now let's take just a minute to summarize what we've learned today. First, I introduced two tools I call composition clues. Composition clues are things we look for when we read scripture. The first composition clue we used was repeated words. And the second was to take note of the action verbs. And both of those clues helped us read the verses more carefully and hopefully understand the author's intent more clearly. We also talked about the doctrine of election and considered three different ways to explain it. 
And finally, we personalized the scriptures. We took verses that apply to all believers and put our names in them to better internalize the impact of God's word on our lives. So you got a little doctrine and you got a little application. This week, I'd love to encourage you to read through all of chapter one of Ephesians. Look for additional repeated words and action verbs. Put your name in those verses and praise God for the indescribably amazing blessings he has given you. I can't wait for next week to unpack the rest of this chapter with you. And in the meantime, don't forget, you are chosen by God. I hope you believe that with your whole heart. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of The Bible for the Ordinary Life. My name is Alicia Parker. I hope you learned something and our time together encouraged your personal relationship with God. Be sure to check out my companion website at www.bibleforttheordinarylife.com or connect with me on Instagram at Bible for the Ordinary Life.